now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Fiona Finn. Fiona was a former blogger for the Huffington Post on spiritual content, and today she joins us to tell us about her experience in heaven. Fiona, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate being here. All right. I guess we should just start at the beginning of your experience. Okay. So a little background in me. Um, I am from a large Irish Catholic family. I am the second oldest of six. My parents met in the U.S., but they both arrived from Ireland at 19, had three kids, moved back to Ireland, had three more, and then returned to the U.S., which I've remained ever since. Um, so that's the background of what I grew up with in religion. I really never questioned anything growing up. I kind of went with the flow. You know, that was my religion. It was just ingrained beliefs. I didn't question it. I didn't really enjoy all of all of the aspects of being Catholic. You know, I'd love to pick and choose, but that was not an option, my mom would say. Um, and then I got married when I was 24. Um, I had a child in college and I married his father. And that marriage did not work out. And after we divorced, I met someone and we married. And um, I had really prayed a lot about finding somebody and him being right for me and we being more alike, because I felt that that's probably what destroyed the first marriage. So I wanted somebody that was Irish and Catholic and had family values and just something similar to me. Um, and so I thought I found that and so forth. And we married, um, beautiful, um, wedding and we went to Hawaii for our honeymoon and it was beautiful. Um, we stayed a little bit longer. So what happened was my parents were watching my two sons from my previous marriage and, um, my current husband had asked if we could stay a little longer in Kauai because we happened to be there when a golf pro golf outing was happening and actually ran into Tiger Woods. And it was very interesting and lovely. And he asked if we could stay a few more days because we probably would never get the opportunity to be there again. So I called my mom and in calling her, I could tell something was wrong immediately in her voice. Um, and that's not normal for me to just know something's wrong. And when I asked her about staying, she said, no problem, you know, that, that they would keep the boys. And I said, are you sure? Is everything okay? And she said, yeah, yeah, no, go enjoy yourselves. You know, we'll see you soon. But I, I still couldn't kick that, you know, I kind of heard something in her voice. And then um, we continued on with our honeymoon. It was lovely. Um, we got back to Fort Myers and oddly enough, my brother and my mother were at the airport when we arrived. So I thought that was really strange because we lived a lot closer to the airport. They were probably 40 minutes from the airport. We were five for us to return home. And they separated us in two separate cars, kind of just hustling us out. And I didn't think much of that other than, you know, maybe they just wanted to spend time with us. I don't know what I was thinking. And about a block from my house, my mom pulled over and she pulled over and she goes, I have to tell you something. And I'm like at the goosebumps because I don't share the story often. And it brings you right back to that moment. Um, she said that your cousin died and um, her name is Yolanda. And it hit me really hard 
because I grew up babysitting her and her brother. And, um, I, you know, you just don't imagine losing someone and someone so young. And the fact that she had died, um, 10 days after my wedding, um, and I was on my honeymoon and that everybody that was over there that had gone over there, um, had already returned. So it was really hard because I was very close with her mom and we had gone through a lot together and I felt really guilty that I was not there to support her during this time of grief. And when I had asked to stay those few extra days, my mom knew that my father and brother and family had left and flown back to Ireland um, for the funeral. And so I felt really, really guilty that during this sad time, I was out having this wonderful time. Right. And I couldn't shake that. I was really sad. I did speak to my aunt. She was obviously beyond devastated. And then I don't remember much, but about a week later, I had a dream. And it's so weird to me because the dream is one I've never forgotten. And it didn't feel like a dream Um, because I've had dreams in my life where you can remember little aspects of them. But I mean, I remember every single detail. And Obviously, I went to sleep. And what I remember is not falling asleep. I remember looking at these roses really close to my face, right? And I'm looking at them and they're made of wood and they're white and they're carved. They're really intricate. And the more I'm looking at them and thinking how beautiful they are, I realize that they're crown molding. And I'm a realtor. (laughs) And I guess I pay attention to those little details. Um, So I'm looking at crown molding and the minute I know it's crown molding, I know it's up high. So I thought, huh, why am I eye level with crown molding? So I look down and once I look down, oh my God, I get so scared. I am on top of a cathedral. Um, It is like a really old church cathedral. And there's a lot of people praying, but they're not speaking English. Um, It's a different language and I don't know what it is, but I would, I don't know. I wouldn't even liken it to something. I really don't know what it was, but they're all praying. And there are maybe, I would say like 25 feet below me. Like I am really high and I got really scared, like in my gut scared. And the moment that I felt that fear, like really just right there, I was in the palm of the biggest hand that you've ever seen. I was literally in the palm of it. And I felt instantly safe, instantly protected. Like you could breathe. Oddly enough, I'm in a huge palm, but I'm like, like, I'm not going to fall, you know, on those people. I don't know what I'm doing floating up here. And then as soon as I felt that moment of um, peace and protection, the hand started to raise up, but super fast. So I'm in it and we're going upwards and fast, like really, really fast, like light speed. And I'm shocked. I'm like, what's happening? So once it stops moving, I don't see a hand anymore. I'm standing and I'm standing in blue water all around. And it's probably um, not as high as my knee, but pretty close. I'm tall. And it is the cleanest, clearest water you have ever seen. I mean, you can't imagine that on earth because it's so clear you can see to the bottom 
And it's so beautiful that you can't stop staring at it. And I'm like deciding that I will turn in the water, you know, all the way around. And when I turn, like almost like you were looking for land, I see a huge staircase, right? And it's massive. And on this staircase, there's people going up and there's people going down, right? And it's odd. This is my belief was never in reincarnation because Catholics don't believe in reincarnation. They believe in, you know, heaven and the afterlife then there. So I knew instinctively that the people that were coming down were going to earth and the people that were going up were going to heaven. And the weird thing for me, I started walking the stairs and I tried to talk to the people like, hi, hi, you know, I'm here. Who are you? And they would not talk to me or acknowledge me, but they were all talking to each other. And so as people are going up and down, just kind of kind of felt more like an escalator and that kind of movement. Um, as they're all going up and down, they're talking to each other and a lot of them in slang. They're like, yo, I'm going to catch you next lifetime. OK, good to see you. All right. And that made me smile because for some reason I thought um, I was 30 years old. And for some reason, I thought that when we do go to heaven or an afterlife, that we, we would be these better versions of ourselves. Right. That we wouldn't really just be us, but the best of us. But really, we were just us. We just talked the way we, you know, talk right now. And so there was a lot of love on those stairs, a lot of friendship. And I, I just loved being there. Although they wouldn't acknowledge me, I, I was just fascinated by it. And once I reached the top of the staircase, I found myself in my cousin's home, the one that I used to babysitter in most. So the most familiar setting and age, her age to me. So I find myself on the top staircase, which I traveled many times, you know, babysitting and being over at their home. And I look down the hall and her bedroom door is cracked open and the lights on. So I walk down the hallway and I push open the door and there is my cousin at the age I remember her most on the floor playing. She's playing with some kind of toy. Something's on the floor with her and someone else is on the floor next to her, a little girl, kind of close in age. Um, so I'm thinking Yolanda at that point was eight. She died. I believe she was 24. I hope I'm not incorrect in that. And that was 21 years ago this month. So I find it very ironic that we're speaking and, you know, it's very timely. Uh, I married November 10th and she passed November 20th, uh, 2000. So once I enter the room, her eyes, the first thing that caught me was her eyes. They were so big and so beautiful. And we never spoke with, you know, our mouths moving. And that was really weird for me. I'd never thought of that, never heard of that. Um, the com computer internet wasn't around back then. So nobody had ever shared near-death experience or I'd never heard about uh, telepathy in heaven. So we were speaking through mind, through thought, the moment that I would think something she would answer. But sometimes she'd actually pause and then I'd see I'd see it in her face, the feeling. So the first thing she said to me was, Fiona, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm here for your mom. And her eyes changed. They, you know, not that they weren't lit up, but it was like she was glad to see me. And all of a sudden she got serious. And um, I said, 
I was really sad that, you know, obviously she had passed. And then I had this tremendous guilt that I wasn't there to help her mom. And I didn't really know what I should do to help her mom. And she said to me that um, my mom has her own journey on earth, just like all of us. And she's got a lot of work she still has to do. And she said, whatever you do, don't give in to my mom. And my aunt is such a wonderful lady. She's so strong-willed and fun to be around. And somebody that lights up a room, right? She's just really great. But at the same token, sometimes you can be in awe of her and let her take over, right? So I think she was trying to tell me to keep my boundaries. I'm not great with boundaries. Uh, very codependent. I'm working on that. But um, she you know, definitely made me feel somewhat better that we each have this journey. And then I looked to the girl sitting next to her playing and I said, you know, who are you? Like, um, and Yolanda told me her name and her age and that she had died a hundred years before her, which kind of for me at the time, again, I had not heard of any of these stories was mind boggling that, you know, somebody that had lived not in your lifetime would be on the floor. And, you know, I could see them as children where she died at 24. So when I woke up, I shared with my new husband, he was um, not as impressed. I thought he, he kind of just believed it was a dream, but I really felt when, when it all ended, that was the last thing we talked about was the girl and the age. Um, I remember saying to myself in that moment, I want to come back here. I, I want to come back here. I didn't know that I wanted to be there right then, but I felt that when I was coming back and waking up that God said, I will be allowed to come back again. And I didn't know what it was, but I knew it wasn't a dream. And so I did start to research just a little. And for what I kind of found out was um, a lot of people referred to it as astral projection or traveling. So some part of my higher being or spirit um, returned to heaven. And obviously it was very emotional. It still is emotional. I, I just, I feel so bad that she didn't have a full life here on earth. Um, and I just wish that we knew some of the reasons why, you know, young people leave. But it's, it's something that I struggle with in my spirituality is that we get a little information, but not enough all the time. So sometimes it creates more questions because it leads to the next question, the next one. Um, so I shared the story with my aunt. And again, she was in a dark place. She had lost her husband um, in her 40s. She moved with four children. Well, one of them was already in Ireland, but took three back over. So she raised four children on her own. And then when things were looking really good in their lives, she lost her oldest daughter. So she's had a lot of loss. And um we maintained a great relationship. She still struggles with um, with life, but don't we all? <laughs> um, I went on to change in a, in a lot of ways spiritually. Um, I got cancer, oh gosh, 2009, December 2009. And it was colon cancer, stage three. I had um, some blood in my stool that I had ignored for probably 16 months. I wasn't really sure what it was, but I didn't think it was important enough to go see the doctor because at the time as realtors, 
Um, the market had crashed. It was the terrible housing crash. We lost so much back then. Um, our business collapsed. We had built a commercial building. Nobody that was supposed to rent it could. And we lost that too. So I decided to take care of all those physical things, um, short selling our house. We did a deed in lieu on our building. Uh, we found a rental, got all the kids and everybody settled. And then in December, I went to the doctor. That doctor I had talked to in January of that year, he was really upset when I woke up from the anesthesia. He had told me I should have been there a year earlier, that it's definitely cancer. Um, and he even staged it, which is very unusual from your colon colonoscopy. Um, that very night, my husband left our bedroom. He slept in the guest room and he never returned. Um, and I started having panic attacks because I was... I was so unsure what was happening with him. Um, and um, I, I was more worried about him and what he, was going on with him than me and my illness. So um, I started going through the cancer treatments. Um, it was it was difficult just in my mind to line up what was happening um, and prioritizing myself and my health. Uh, my husband, second husband, left in June, Father's Day in June, and it was devastating for me. As a human being, I found it much more difficult to go through a second divorce when I thought that I was a better picker <laughs> for a relationship um, than it was to go through cancer. Because I'm someone that will definitely do what I'm told with a doctor, keep a positive mindset and move through it. I, I kind of felt like I was going to live through it, although it took a lot out of me. And with the divorce and the illness, I ended up being about 104 pounds. I am 5'10". I lost I don't know, well over 20 pounds, 25 pounds, something in that region. Um, I was just really sick. And I was sick in many ways. I felt really sick physically. I was a million times sicker emotionally with my husband. Um, and then spiritually, I was just confused. And I think that if you think you're coming maybe towards your death, you'll always question if you have that opportunity to have time to think about it. So um, I went through radiation. I went through my first round of chemo. I went through surgery. And then he, he left. I started my next round of chemo and I didn't even want to finish it. I didn't, I just didn't really have that willpower. Um, actually right after the surgery, I have to go backwards a little bit. Um, it was, it was hard. The surgery was hard. I was much more worried about having, um, the colostomy bag than I was about losing my hair. I was worried what he would think. It was just really crazy now because I look back and I've grown so much since that divorce and worrying about what someone else thinks while I'm going through a life and death situation. I'm not the same person, but at that time, that's who I was. So um, they had found when they took out the tumor that my liver was a little granulated, you know, um, the feeling, and they thought there might be more cancer. They sent me for another PET scan. I lit up like a Christmas tree and they told me I had six months and I got, I was shocked. I'm like, what do you mean? I did everything you said. How can it 
spread that quick. And they're like, well, that happens sometimes. There wouldn't be any more treatment and that would be it. So I just kept questioning that. And I ended up going back to the radiologist and I asked him and he agreed that it moved really fast. So he ordered a few other tests. And when I completed the second one, um, they found out that I had MRSA. I had been given MRSA in the hospital when they put the ports in. And that also lights you up just like cancer. So it wasn't the cancer. It was the MRSA. And I had some, um, I went in and I got IV treatment and all of that. And so anyway, um, after, so he left in June, we divorced in January and everything changed with me spiritually. Spiritual things started happening. It was like, um, I guess everybody calls it being awakened, right? Um, everything in my world changed. Uh, the first big change I would say is fear. Fear hit me so much after he had left. I was really too sick to be alone. And I wish that he had been a friend, just a friend, until I was well enough to step back into my work role. Um, but I didn't get that. And when I returned to real estate, it was really tough. The market obviously was tough, but it was tough because when you are sick and you go through chemo and radiation, you actually feel sicker when they're done with you than when they started. I felt healthy when they told me I was sick. And then when they told me we're all done, I felt really ill. Um, and I felt like I always had a direct line to God when Ever I would ask him, which were rare, ask him for big favors. So um, stepping back a little bit at 21 years old, um, I got pregnant with my first son. And the father was not really in, in for the long haul, although he became my first husband. So I had a prayer. I, I once I realized I was pregnant and I had told him, who was my boyfriend at the time, he wanted to make solutions to what he saw as a problem. And I just wanted him to be in awe that our lives were about to change. Sometimes shocking news, you just don't give it the gravity of the moment that it needs. Um, cancer is one of those moments. Um, having children when they're unexpected could be, you know, moment. And for me, it was. Um, and deciding what to do wasn't even in my head. Like I wasn't even thinking about what would happen if I had a baby or didn't have a baby or what my choices were. None of that. Just, wow, I can't believe it. You know, I didn't want to share it with my parents. They were very old fashioned and strict. I literally told my mom over the phone. She was making fish, she dropped the pan. And I didn't talk to her for two weeks after because I knew that they'd have to calm down. Um, but I did have the child. I had him alone. I, my aunt, uh, another aunt who had passed a few years back and she was actually a nurse. Um, and she was a nurse in the delivery, um, for the hospital, you know, that I went to, she actually told me that I should go to an abortion clinic so that I find out what it's about. Just go for the information so that I have the information. And this is a Catholic, you know, so I was like, okay. Um, it was, it was a lot. It was a lot to take in. And I have no judgment on what anyone does with their body and their decisions. I never do. 
But for me, for that, for everything that I could see, I felt that I would have the child. And I prayed to God when I made that decision. And I said, give me, I don't know why I thought that he would take me, but I said, give me till my child is 21, right? Let me be with him till he's 21 and then you can have me, right? Then I'm all yours if that's when you want to take me. And that was my mindset at 21 years old. Um, I got cancer <laughs> when he turned that year that he turned 21. So in my head, I thought, okay, God's calling in his card. You know, I did say, so um, I didn't say the prayers, the really strong prayers to him until right after I was diagnosed and my husband's in a different room and I'm having pan attacks and I'm really scared that, you know, obviously he's not supporting me. So what's going to happen? Our marriage was tough. It was our, oh gosh, we were going into our 10th year of marriage but it was a tough marriage. It was not easy. And me being so codependent, I definitely think I carried that marriage probably seven more years than it really probably ever should have lived. So I had a prayer with God and I said, I know I made a promise to you when I was 21 that you could have me if you wanted me at 21, but I didn't think I'd have more children. And I have two more. Um, at the time, my daughter was in third grade and my son was in eighth grade. And then Ryan had gone, he was in college. So I said, I really feel unsure about what's happening with my husband. I said, I don't think you should take me right now. And that was it. Like whatever, you know, obviously God's going to do what God's going to do. Um, but I felt for me that I, I was so worried about my kids and their stability. And I was right. Um, he left then, you know, Six months after diagnosis, he really never told, we never had a conversation. Um, I had to work everything out in my own mind to what had happened. And everything then changed spiritually for me. I, I awakened and I started having all these spiritual moments that made me feel very unsure of everything that I had been raised to believe. And so it's really difficult in my family sometimes because I feel like, the black sheep in regards to spirituality, because everybody else is going along with everything we'd all been raised to believe. And, and it's not that those things aren't true. It's just that if I talk about anything that I've experienced or I'm curious about, then I, I'm, and I'm not sure if it's my perception, but I feel the odd man out, you know? And so I love that I have an opportunity to talk to you and your guests because they have the same interests as I do, you know? And so I listen to you at night and it's very soothing and, you know, some guests connect and some don't. And I think that that's wonderful. That's, you know, because some people will connect with this story and some won't, but I can tell you that I saw my cousin and I saw her as the spirit she is and the love that I feel I can be right back there in a moment. And I'm not as close to my aunt today, which is really difficult because I love her as much. But when I was going through the divorce, I probably wasn't the easiest person to be around because I was so depressed and I felt very lost. And there's only so much of that people want to be around because they have their own lives. So it took a long time for me to heal. It's been 12 years. Since the divorce, I am cancer-free, um, but I've had some wonderful 
experiences. And I'd love to share, you know, a couple of those if we still have time to um, being awakened to the fact that obviously we're more than our bodies and we're all here for a multitude of reasons. And I love that we can interconnect and share like in this forum, because this had never been around back, um, you know, when I went through my first experience after my cousin died. But even growing up, you know, we never had this. So I think it's such an amazing thing for the youth today that um, there's so much more information out there. Well, Fiona, thank you for sharing your life with us. Can you still remember the experience with your cousin today as clearly as the day that it happened? 100%. Hmm. It's amazing. The one, the another um, piece, because I wrote about um, this story in the Huffington Post. I, I was a blogger. I became a blogger, obviously, after my illness. Um, and I will share a little bit about that. But I had blogged about the story. And one thing that I didn't say when I was sharing this story with you now, when I was walking up the stairs and I saw the people, they're like us, but they're not like us. Like they have bodies in a way that you see an outline of a body. Like, you know, you see your hands, but they're made of light, right? So when I say light, I mean specks of light. Right. So if you took um, a pen and you just dotted like all these little points of light in you. But then some of them had dark spots, like a lot of them had dark spots. Right. And some of them had more dark spots in their light. And I don't know who told me, but on the journey up the stairs, when I was like, wow, look at their bodies, look at how they're made of light. Um, and I was like, why do that? You know, that person or that person have more dark spots. And they said that the lessons we learn on earth um, create the light. So that the dark spots are things you're working out. Whether you come back each and every lifetime, you're just kind of, you're getting lighter and lighter and lighter. Um, and there's no judgment. So we don't judge each other on the stairs. I was questioning it. Obviously I'm still human, but um there's no judgment between all of those people that are there and then God. And so it's hard for me when people say like energy, I get the vibe thing and I get the energy, but being raised Catholic, I certainly still connect very much to the God that I heard about. I don't believe he's a person. I don't, I, I mean, I'm not sure I was in a hand. So obviously he can create um, the sense that, that you're in a hand. Um, and then they created the fact they comforted me by having her at the age I remember her the most. So I felt that it was amazing. They were customizing this experience for me. So it gave me great comfort, but yes, I was totally human because I had that fear um, and that questioning, but yeah, the, the body thing I've always wanted to kind of paint it. It's just amazing to me. The way that I saw the way we look is it's beautiful. Um, but we're still us. We're like so much us. It's crazy. Do you feel that you had an out-of-body experience and not a dream? Definitely. I don't know what the label, like the out-of-body or the astral projection or traveling. I don't know the label. But I, you know, when I was younger, I remember actually flying a lot in dreams. And I would go over a childhood home. 
And I felt such a sense of calm when I would do it. And even now, when I think the, that was my most profound um, out of body experience. But when I was a child, I think I did it too. Mm. I think I found a way to comfort myself by leaving my body at night and traveling somewhere that I knew. Um, but that was just little bits, you know, kind of teasers to that one moment. Um, and it's hard because being here on earth, this is hard. My grandmother, um, she's beautiful. One of the only people that has come towards me since the divorce on the other side. Um, she always told me growing up that there is no hell. The only hell is hell on earth. The things that you have to go through to go back, to get back home. Um, and her husband, my grandfather, who died young, and the person that I remember as being the most loving person I'd ever met, he would always say, spoil children with love and kindness because the world will be cruel to them. And it's so hard to raise children and see how tough things can be. You don't think about yourself getting sick and how you'll react to it and how you'll carry yourself through it. But I definitely, my journey spiritually began after the divorce and after the illness, I was still sick physically, but, um, and then I just went into a, a few really crazy experiences where spirituality and the physical world seemed to, to me collide. Um, one such experience I wrote about on the Huffington post was my middle son, Connor. Again, I'm a mother and I was a single mom I did have the older one in college and I had the two young ones. And as I was going through the illness and, and, and trying to heal, they're watching me, they're suffering with me. They're dealing with all that I'm, you know, so my son, eighth grade is a tough year, it's tough for everybody. Um, he was very resentful and angry about the divorce, about my illness, about the fact that we had been thrown into poverty. Um, my husband took everything. He left me in a bed with nothing. He took every listing, every dollar. And even when I went out to do open house, he would kick my signs over. So I had a really tough time making money. There was a lot of anger. Um, I'm not mad at him today. I've forgiven him. Uh, he did me a favor. I got to know myself. Um, I got to stand on my own two feet. Uh, I was angry with God. I still can be a little resentful. I think life is hard and we're all kind of just sitting here wondering what's next. Um, and I was going through a lot because of the poverty and the not making money. And I ended up getting a gambling addiction. Um, my husband, second husband had introduced me to gambling during our marriage. I hadn't done very much of it. It was fun. It was something we would do on vacation. Um, but that addiction took hold of me because of personally, I think it was the fear of not being able to generate income and the praying that maybe on the other side, they could help me, but gambling is just bad. It's tough. And it's a, an addiction that if you have that chemistry makeup, um, and you fall into, it's very hard to come back out of a mm. uh, very serious addiction. Many people die. Um, I became very suicidal after my husband left and the cancer. Um, I didn't know what was going on with him in our marriage. And shortly after he moved out, he moved in with another woman. Um, 
and he wouldn't let me see my daughter, our daughter. She's not mine. She's definitely ours. But at the time it was just really, I wanted to see my children when I was sick and he was not letting me see her. And, um, when I did have a weekend, he would take her those little games people play when they get divorced that are just ugly and horrible for the children. Um, but in that moment, you know, I was really resentful. I was angry. I didn't want to be on earth. I didn't have a partner. It was hard. I didn't have a job. I didn't have money and I was scared. And that fear kept propelling and propelling and propelling. Um, and so gambling started happening little by little. I mean, you never go all the time, but when you go and you don't have the money to gamble, you just, just don't belong there. So Connor, my, my, my middle son had called me on the phone um, this would be probably, we'll say, within a year and a half of the divorce and illness. And he said, Mom, you're spiritual. You'll like this. <laughs> and I said, okay, what What would you like to share? And I'm in the car driving with my other son. He goes, I had a dream last night, Mom. And in the dream, the Virgin Mary was there. And he, he called her, you know, mother. And he said, um, we were walking her and I, and she was my mom. I called her mom and she kept calling you my earth mom. And my son had been going through, everyone is going through something. I mean, that's, I guess that's the reason that we need to be kind and loving because everyone really is going through something at some point, right? You have these moments of maybe clarity and stability, but then you're going through something again. So he had been going through when my husband left, he threw my sons and he tried to throw me off the medical, but I went to court and I was able to at least be able to keep on the medical insurance because I was sick. If he threw me off, I'd be in Cobra and then I would really not be able to take care of my health, but he was allowed to throw this, the boys off because they weren't his legally. So Connor had um, braces and they were removed just before um, my ex-husband left. And when he was a baby around, just a little under one, he crawled up the back of a stroller and he hit, he tipped over the stroller because of his weight and he hit his face on a wood floor at Bath and Body Works in the mall. And he damaged his teeth. There was blood everywhere. I picked him up, brought him to the hospital. They ripped out two little teeth that were coming in. Um, very painful with no med medicine. It was hard to watch. And um, we did not know that the permanent adult teeth had been damaged in that fall. So the rest of his baby teeth came in, then his adult teeth came in, and then he needed braces. He had the braces until eighth grade. They were then removed the summer, the same summer that his stepfather was leaving. So once his dad had left, and again, we had nothing. I mean, nothing. We had it was tough. Um, his teeth started chipping. So they were chipping and it was really difficult for him. And it was hard because I had no money to help. And he wouldn't smile. He would kind of drag his lip to cover his teeth. And he stopped wanting to go to high, high school. Um, he stopped interacting with people. Um, he was just really sad. It was, it was hard. And he told me, mom, if you don't do something about this, I'm not going to want to be here either. I am so embarrassed. Um, he was visiting his grandparents on his father's side in Ohio. 
And I was praying a lot. I was on the internet a lot. I had asked a dentist that we had had for 20 years if he could refer me anywhere. And he wouldn't even speak to me. And I was a cash paying customer for 20 years. I didn't want his help. I just wanted to be led to a source. And he had no kindness to give. It was it was it was um, eye opening. So I did end up finding someone, but Connor's dream came before I found someone. And he was walking with Mary and Mary was talking to him. And she said, I'm helping your earthly mother. Um, I'm going to help you get your teeth done soon. Please hang in there. And she said, I have a message for you to give to your mom. And so this is why he was giving me the phone call. And I believe my son Astro traveled. And this is someone that really, I know Connor believes in God, but he will not really talk about religion. He's in the physical earth to be a part of the physical experience. And he does not want to deter from that. And he's resentful that his mom left who she used to be, was awakened. And now this is who she is. So our relationship is very strained. And I don't think I go around talking about spirituality all that much, but it is a part of who I am today. Um, and I want him to like me for who I am because I love him unconditionally for who he is. But we're we're struggling right now. Um, at least we're talking. So I'm happy because it was a couple of years we weren't talking. So um, Mary told him to tell me, Two messages. And these are hard to share with you guys because they're ultra personal. You know, even saying you have an addiction is very personal and it feels like it is a defect, but it's a defect that once opened um, and started that you're constantly trying to fix. And it's it's not easy to fix any addiction. You know, once it's once it's triggered, it's really difficult. So for everybody that's facing addiction, I just want you guys to know how much I relate to you. And I know that the battle is tough and to hang in there, um, you have a purpose. So Connor said that Mary told him first to tell his mother, me, earthly mother, to stop praying in anger. And I, I was like, what? And she said, yeah, she said, stop praying in anger when it comes to, and I'm not saying my ex-husband's name because, I, you know, I'm not, you know, he's a different person today too, I'm sure. Um, but she said she needs to stop praying in anger about him. And I knew instantly what she meant. And this is terrible to say, but for that first um, year when I would go to bed and I was so everything on outside of my being was felt like it was out of my control, right? Because I'd had a, a nice life and a career and a home. And I felt like I was part of a community and then everything was gone, you know, I've never had a home since then. I, I live in an apartment, but I don't know that I'll ever own a home again. And I don't even know if it's that important, honestly, because even when you own a home, you don't really own it. We all just occupy these until we then pass, right? But it was difficult. And at night, I would say to God things like, you know, I would be okay if this were to happen to him. Right. And this could have been it wasn't it wasn't bad. It wasn't like I was having him murdered in my dreams. But I would um, say like an example was he hated losing his hair. So I said, well, you know, it'd be OK if he did lose it all. Like, you know, God, if you just make that happen like ASAP, that'd be great. And then I'd smile because I felt like 
very human and very faulty, that that was my little way of, you know, he won't speak to me. I don't know what happened. I have no control. But this is my way of showing my anger, which is silly because really I'm praying to God to do something bad. (laughs) But it it was very childish. And at that time, that's who I was. I'm not going to say I wasn't. I was just angry and being petty. But I thought it interesting that Mary went to Connor to tell me. So I got mad at her, too. I was like, why didn't she come to me and tell me directly? And the truth is, I wouldn't have listened. Right. The way she came through him made me question it and listen. And then the second thing she said, which is hard, she said, tell your mom to stop gambling. That she needs to put her faith in God. I was on the road to the casino with my son when Connor called me that day. Now, I didn't turn around (laughs) and I certainly fought and still do fight with that addiction. Um, And I do believe it was fear based. And once it started, it's very, very difficult. And I'm not proud of it, but it is a part of who I am. And I'm trying to accept myself for all my faults, just like I think everybody should. But to me, it was amazing that it was so accurate. Within weeks, I was able to find a dentist that helped my son with his teeth. Um, He hated the article I wrote on Huffington Post because he felt that I was sharing something that, you know, he's very private that he wouldn't have shared. Um, That's why I didn't share his name. Maybe I did. But if I did, I'm sorry. I just think it's such a beautiful story um, that Mary was there and that they hear the little things, you know, the minute. Um, So that was crazy. And then I had another experience. I was trying to heal. Um, Physically, I said I was still very sick from the cancer. I had colon cancer stage three. They had removed a large section of my colon. Um, in the hospital at the very end when they um, took away the um, the bag, the colon bag, they the resection, they resected me. And then they said, you can't leave the hospital till you pass gas or you go number two. And I had not done that six months, you know, like your body's healing from the removal and then they sew it back together. And, you know, I think there's an innocence sometime where you think it's going to just go back to normal, right? Or you hope it's just going to go back to normal. Like I never, never thought too far out on on what changes would be there. So I couldn't pass gas and I couldn't go number two. Like I was just in the hospital. I remember like a week going by, there's nothing happening. So I was like, I better call God, you know, put in one of those real strong prayers. And I said to him, God, please, 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 please. Let me go number two. Let me pass gas. I just really want to go home. I spent so much time in hospital, so many hours and so many alone because there was no husband. Um, I did have a lot of visitors and family. But when you want somebody there that's special to you, I still loved him. And when he rejected me at that time, it was very painful to be alone without the person you wanted there. So I'm like, will you please let me go? And it was so funny. It wasn't very long after I started passing gas and going number two, but not the same. It lasted for years. I said, God must have not had enough of those requests because he just gave me all of it. He was like, here you go. So a lot of times when you do lose part of your colon, you end up with stomach issues. 
it's very embarrassing, obviously, that gas. You know, you can't go work out. You can't do a lot of things because you're embarrassed, you know. Um, and then your stool is not the same consistency. Um, it, it started, obviously, from running to try and get solid, just to be a part of society again. Those are the things you can't, you can't work. I can't go back to a normal job when I have to use the bathroom so much. So that I decided, you know what, I'm going to try different things like, um, you know, the Western Eastern medicine, because Western medicine pretty much says we've done all of this. You're on your own now. Where Eastern was about all of it, you know, kind of incorporating mind, body, spirit. So I decided I would go get um, acupuncture. Nobody in my family. I mean, that I knew, except for actually my cousin's girlfriend in Ireland. I think she might have been an acupuncturist. But spiritually, like that would have been a physical. This actually became spiritual. So I, I went, I made an appointment in Fort Myers. I went, I was very nervous, very nervous. And the lady put all the needles in and the pain never bothers me. I just, I guess it was, I didn't know what to expect. So she said she was going to turn the light off, close the door, and she'd come back in 30 minutes. And I'm like, no, 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 leave the door open. Do you have to turn the light off? And can you come back at five? You know, I just did not want to be alone in a dark room with needles all over and not knowing what's going to happen. She's like, you'll be fine. T turns off the light, closes the door and leaves. And then my panic starts to take over. And I said something I've never said to myself in my entire life, but it felt very natural. And I said it in my head. I said, I am a child of God. No harm will come to me. And I kept repeating it. I am a child of God. No harm will come to me. I am a child of God. No harm will come to me. I was saying it to calm myself. And I heard in my right ear, a man's voice very clearly. And he said, Fiona, and I've got the goosebumps coming through me. He said, Fiona, those are the same words I said to myself on my way to the cross. And I knew it was Jesus. And it was overwhelming because growing up and going to church and seeing the pictures and statues and stories, I used to wonder what it was like if Jesus was a man and all his friends were spitting on him and harassing him and he hadn't done anything. What did that walk feel like? I used to think that, you know, what would that walk feel like if everyone you knew, maybe your mom was crying to the side, but she couldn't help you and your dad and the people you love. And then everyone else is screaming at you and you're bleeding and you're going to die and you didn't even do anything. And even if he did sign up for it, now he's human. Was he scared? So here I am hearing his voice. And I just felt like I had the exact same thought that he had. Obviously years and years and years and years before me, it was like that thought has run in, you know, it's running a stream and if you tap into it, you then hear someone else that thought, you know, like Jesus thought it. So it could be anybody, but we shared that moment and I was, I was in awe. So then obviously um, I started to get somewhat better, not much, but somewhat better where, you know, I felt more comfortable being a part of society. Um, but I was, I felt crazy close to Jesus that he would come to me. Um, and I shared that in the Huffington Post. What happened with um, after I started getting well, I decided that I needed to give back. Um, I don't really connect with cancer in a way that I um, go to a lot of cancer events now. But when I first 
came out of it, you know, obviously you're doing the relay for life and you're trying to be there to show others that they too can survive. You want to send that message out. So I would try to speak, um, help raise money. Um, I remember locally that uh, the American Cancer Society was giving away wigs. And when I went in, I had not lost my hair, but it had really, really thinned out. Those wigs were terrible. I mean, they really needed to be put in the garbage. And I wanted, like, I thought that we need to create money to create a nice space for someone to go in that was going through those um, changes that it would be pretty and nice. And that those were the things that I felt like, you know, that at least maybe the next person doesn't have to feel the way I did when I walked in, you know, that you look around and think, Ugh, I wouldn't put this on my head, you know, just, and then, you know, even in, since then, like it's been, you know, such a long time, but I felt very tied to giving back. And um, all of those spiritual moments were happening during this time. Um, and then I, I somehow connected with somebody that's brother or cousin, a friend of mine um, was an AOL executive. They hooked me up with a link and Huffington Post allowed me to start blogging. So um, I only had one viral um, blow up. It was very, all of the spiritual stories are on there. And I liked sharing them. I really did. But the blow up was a picture. Um, my boss, my real estate broker boss, had taken a photograph in Cape Coral, which is a city next to Fort Myers in southwest Florida. And it was the sky uh, clouds. And I've always, since I was a kid, you know, been connected with clouds where you would always look out the window and, you know, see shapes when you're driving or whatnot to kill time. And Florida, when I came here with the blue skies, um, we moved from Ohio. I just felt like you could never be depressed in Florida with these blue skies and these beautiful clouds. You can, you can still be depressed, but it is a little bit harder. Um, and he had taken a photograph of a cloud and in the cloud, I was amazed at what I saw. So when I looked at it, the first thing I noticed was the hands. And I saw powerful hands in what looks like either an archangel or to me, it was God. Because those hands, to me, reminded me of the hand that held me in my out-of-body experience. And um, I shared the, he allowed me to share the picture. And the picture blew up. Because, you know, some people saw Godzilla. <laughs> and some people saw archangels. And it was, I thought it was just really fun to see what people were seeing in the picture. Uh, but that was really the only viral experience I had. And, and I thought it, was, it wasn't even mine. It was my boss. And he was such a wonderful guy sharing it uh he felt that it was just probably angelic and definitely meant to be shared um and then i started writing um not just for the huffington post but i started writing um at first to heal my inner child because that's somebody that i really feel like whenever you are hurt emotionally it, it helps to go back to who you were as a child what did you want you know who did you see yourself as when you grew up and help kind of heal that inner child. And then I started writing about my poverty, why God would. Um, and I say, I don't know want to put it on him, but if there's a source of energy that loves us all equally, why some of us struggle so much more in the physical world with finances than others, you know? And then even during 
your life, why sometimes things are good and then other times things are not, that roller coaster. So I was definitely on that roller coaster and I wrote about it. Uh, I wrote another book about the journey with my ex-husband, the cancer, the codependency. Um, I had found out that he was narcissistic or had signs of narcissism. And then I, you know, kind of continued writing, but all of those in writing wasn't necessarily, I mean, I would have loved to have sold them and connected with people. So, you know, to sharing that story, but it was more for healing for me and an outlet since I couldn't speak to anybody that had like-minded experiences. Can you find these articles still on the Huffington Post? Uh, Yeah, they're actually still out there. It's kind of funny when something, you know, is just out there, which is great because every so often it's connected to my email. Um, so that if anyone ever read an article, you clicked the email and obviously if you had a question or wanted to share something, you could. So you would just look up my name and it's, uh, thank God for Shrek, Fiona, like Princess Fiona, F I O N A. Um, and my last name is Finn, F I N N. And then Huffington Post after it. It'll then, that'll give you a link and then it'll show you all the different articles I wrote. So I was able to share a lot of those spiritual experiences there. And it was a great outlet for me to put them out in hopes that others, if they help, would find them. All right. And that's why I'm so excited to be here. Well, after watching this podcast, people may want to reach out and ask you questions or chat with you. Are you open to that? And if so, how should they do that? Sure. I mean, I'm not, I haven't um, communicated in a while, you know, ever since COVID, but I'm definitely here if somebody would like to, you know, ask questions or share an experience. Uh, my email is best, uh, Fiona, F-I-O-N-A. My maiden name, Burke, B-U-R-K-E. My current last name, F-I-N-N, which is my daughter's last name, at AOL.com. All right. Well, before we finish up, can you leave us with one last positive message? When in doubt, like when you doubt yourself, right? And we all do, even if you get up and you start doubting yourself, know this, that beyond your physical body and these walls and that bed and your job and those bills and anything that's bothering you, you're more than this. You're more beautiful than you think. You have something to really look forward to. And sometimes that's the part of me that wants to go there and not be here. You need to be here. Just like my cousin told me with my aunt, everybody has a mission and a purpose. You may not know it. You may be confused. Um, Keep going, put one foot in the front of the other. (laughs) Um, You'll make it. I mean, we're all here. We're all doing this together, right? At this very moment, you and I are sharing this and hopefully that this will share and help others. That's the only reason I'm doing it. Well, Fiona, thank you for that message and thank you for joining us today. I appreciate you and I wish you the best. Thank you, Jeff. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.